On a desolate hill in an English country churchyard stands a plain gray slate tombstone. The faint etchings read, birth, April 1st, 1742, death, May 21st, 1771. The tombstone also included this statement, and I want you to listen carefully. They didn't get the punchline last time. You need to. (laughs) Beneath this stone, a lump of clay lies Arabella Young, who on the 21st of May began to hold her tongue. Let's hope that we learn what that woman never did to tame the tongue. As a wise sage observed, as you go through life, you're going to have many opportunities to keep your mouth shut. Take advantage of all of them. Experts in the field of speech estimate that the average person creates 12,000 sentences composed, 50, 000, composed of 50,000 words every day. If we were to put that into print, it would be a paperback of about 150 pages every day. Now, would you like someone to read what you say every day? I know I wouldn't. All the things you say under your breath, every word you speak to your wife, your kids, your coworkers, the stranger on the highway, to the referee during March Madness, or the Ravens game. J. Vernon McGee, former Bible teacher, said this, it takes a baby two years to learn how to talk and then 50 years to learn how to keep quiet. So today we're going to be looking at the book of James and see what he has to say about the tongue. James presents the tongue as a test of living faith. True faith will be demonstrated by my speech. And the tongue, as many observe, is probably the biggest tattletale when it comes to the true nature and disposition of our hearts. And James is concerned about what we say. He mentions it twice in chapter 1. In verse 19, he says, Know this, my beloved brothers, let every person be quick to hear, slow to speak, slow to anger. In verse 26, he says this, If anyone thinks he is religious and does not bridle his tongue but deceives his heart, this person's religion is worthless. So what we say indicates a lot. He also mentions it in chapter 2, verse 12. So speak and so act as those who are to be judged under the law of liberty. We're going to be judged. He mentions it in chapter 4, verse 11. Do not speak evil against one another's brothers. The one who speaks against a brother or judges his brother speaks evil against the law and judges the law. But if you judge the law, you are no longer a doer of the law, but a judge. He mentions it in chapter 5. He says, In verse 12, above all, my brothers, do not swear, neither by heaven, 
nor by earth or by any other oath, but let your yes be yes and your no, no, so that you may not fall under condemnation. The tongue is important to James, and it should be because Jesus said, out of the abundance of the heart, what? The mouth speaks. In fact, many of the rabbis used to say that the tongue was an arrow because it had the ability to kill from a distance. We can kill without being anywhere near our victims. In fact, Psalm 64, 2 and 3 says, Hide me from the secret plots of the wicked, from the throng of evildoers who wet their tongues like swords, who aim bitter, er bitter words like arrows. And James, we're going to be camping in chapter 3. Many of you are familiar with that chapter. It talks a lot about the tongue. And James begins by telling us there is a stricter judgment and accountability for those who teach. And he gives an imperative command in verse 1. Not many of you should become teachers, my brothers, for you know that we who teach will be judged with greater strictness. James gives his reader an imperative command. Don't be so quick to want to teach. We shouldn't be too eager to stand up before the people of God and use our tongues before them. We should embrace that role only if we have been truly called by God. James is issuing a warning. And as I was preparing, I'm like, Lord, why am I preaching this today? You see, we live in an information age, and people have access to all kinds of information, and it's easy to fall into the temptation of wanting to become a teacher. We can slip into the attitude of heart that says, I have information, therefore I'm qualified to teach. I'm just as valid as anyone else. And James is concerned that this temptation would manifest itself in the church among the people of God. True, God does give to the church gifted men to teach and preach the word of God. It's also true that God helps men to grow and to mature and come to a level of maturity that they ought to be teaching. But there is also a danger that someone could rush into the role for all the wrong reasons. Remember, there is a greater accountability Why do people want to teach? Some of the wrong reasons are to be honored by men. Jesus said in Matthew 23, 6 and 7, when he was speaking to the Pharisees, he says, they love the place of honor at feast and the best seats in the synagogues and greetings in the marketplaces and being called rabbi by others. So we don't want to be teachers because we want to be praised by men. That's wrong motivation. A second wrong motivation is to give themselves a platform to teach their unique doctrine and theology. Paul gave this warning to Timothy in 1 Timothy 1, verses 3 to 7. 
as he spoke about those that were going about teaching false doctrine. He says, as I urged you when I was going to Macedonia, remain at Ephesus so that you may charge certain persons not to teach any different doctrine, nor to, be devote, nor to devote themselves to myths and endless genealogies which promote speculation rather than the stewardship from God that is by faith. He goes on to say, the aim of our charge is love that's issued from a pure heart and a good conscience and a sincere faith. Certain persons, by swerving from these, have wandered away into vain discussions. And get this, this is important, desiring to be teachers of the law without understanding either what they are saying or the things about which they make confident assertions. Another reason that men are in ministry is because of money. Paul, writing to Titus, talks about some insubordinate, empty talkers, deceivers, and he says this. He says, Titus, they must be silenced since they are upsetting whole families by teaching for shameful gain what they ought not to teach. Now, all we need to do is turn on our TVs, open up the radio waves, and we will hear all kinds of men out there preaching for a shameful gain. And we ought not do that. So James is issuing a warning. Don't be so quick to be a teacher. And he also says there's a, there's a stricter judgment. Now, we should be thankful for faithful men that teach the word of God and have a genuine concern for the people of God. Give thanks for men that respect the word of God, uphold the word of God, and men who earnestly contend for the faith. And I did a shout out to Steve thanking him for week in and week out preaching the word of God faithfully. And to all men out there that are faithfully proclaiming the word of God, thank God he has given them. But what are some of the hazards of those that teach and preach the word of God? You know, teachers can incur guilt for not saying what God wants them to say. Ezekiel, chapter 33, 7 and 8, God said this to Ezekiel. He gave him this charge. He said, so you, speaking of Ezekiel, son of man, he said, I have made a watchman for the house of Israel. Whenever you hear a word from my mouth, and this is the Lord speaking to him, you shall give them warning from me. If I say to the wicked, O wicked one, you shall surely die, and you do not speak to warn the wicked to turn from his way, that wicked person shall die in his iniquity. But his blood I will require at your hand. Paul said this in Acts 20, 27. He says, therefore, I testify to you this day that I am innocent of the blood of all. For I did not shrink from declaring to you the whole counsel of God. Paul said, 
I'm going to give you everything. I'm not going to hold back. I'm going to give you all that God tells me to give you. Another reason that we will have a stricter judgment is because we can incur guilt for telling people what they want to hear. Paul, again, writing to Timothy, his son in the faith, in chapter 4, verses 3 and 4, he said, For the time is coming when people will not endure sound doctrine or sound teaching, but have a itching ears. They will accumulate for themselves teachers to suit their own passions and will turn away from listening to the truth and wander off into mists. You see, we have to tell you what God wants us to tell you, not what you want to hear. Last week, we dealt with our thoughts. This week, we're dealing with our speech. You know, our easier topic would be to preach on heaven. But sometimes God wants us to preach on hard things, things that we need to look and examine our hearts. And the man of God can't shrink back from doing that. The man of God can't say, oh, I'm just going to come here on Sunday and teach about the love of God every Sunday. Yes, God is love, and we should highlight the love of God. But there are other aspects of God that we need to teach. The fear of the Lord, the wrath of God, all of those things are contained in the Word of God. And the man of God will incur guilt if he just teaches what you want to hear. The man of God will incur guilt for compromising the truth. Ignoring certain truth and emphasizing others. Listen to the Lord Jesus Christ as he wrote in the Sermon on the Mount in Matthew 5, 18 and 19. He says, for truly, I say to you, until heaven and earth pass away, not an iota, not a dot will pass from the law until all is accomplished. Therefore, whoever relaxes one of the least of these commandments and teaches others to do the same will be called least in the kingdom of heaven. But whoever does them and teaches them will be called great in the kingdom of heaven. Another reason that men will incur guilt that teach the word of God is because their life is inconsistent with what he teaches Paul gave these instructions to Timothy. He said, Timothy, keep a close watch on yourself and on the teaching. Persist in this, for by so doing, you will save both yourself and your hearers. See, what I preach and what I teach, what the man of God teaches and preaches needs to be consistent with his life. And then finally, teachers could incur greater guilt for being careless in his work. 2 Timothy 3.15. He says, do your best to present yourself to God as one approved, a worker who has no need to be ashamed, rightly handling the word of truth. We cannot be careless. We need to be careful as we teach the word of God. So we should be careful when taking on the role of teacher because there's a greater potential for condemnation because of the use of our tongue. 
In 1 Timothy 6, 7, which I read earlier, Paul gives Timothy a charge, and that charge for him to teach and preach is based upon love that is issued from a pure heart, a sincere faith, and a good conscience. Those that teach must examine themselves based upon that criteria. And there were certain men in Ephesus that did not do that. Desiring to be teachers of the law without understanding either what they are saying or the things about which they make confident assertions. You see, they didn't have any understanding about the implication of teaching error. Paul's not writing to those that are genuine in their desire to teach and preach the Word of God. He is writing that to head off the false teacher, the ignorant, the unqualified, the unprepared, and the poorly instructed teachers. And this is to remind us of the accountability of anyone who is to be a teacher. We have a tremendous accountability to God when we teach at any level. Our teaching has to be to please God and not men. Our preparation should be to please God and not men. What I preach should be preached to me first. What any man preaches should be preached to himself first. So finally, in verse 2, James makes it clear that no one escapes the sins of the tongue. Let me ask you a question. Since you've been a Christian, have you ever stumbled with your tongue? Yeah, we have. Verse 2 says, for we all stumble in many ways. And if anyone does not stumble in what he says, he is a perfect man, able also to bridle his whole body. That word stumble could be sin. It's a word that means a moral lapse, a failure to do what is right, an offense against God is the idea. And we all stumble in that way. If we don't, we are a perfect man is what James tells us. You see, if we can control the tongue, we can control the body. So be careful about being a teacher. Now, I lifted this from Pastor John MacArthur, and it just gives us a description of how the Bible either directly or indirectly describes the tongue. Listen to the list. A wicked tongue, a deceitful tongue, a lying tongue, a perverse tongue, a filthy tongue, a corrupt tongue, a bitter tongue, an angry tongue, a crafty tongue, a flattering tongue a slanderous tongue, a gossiping tongue, a backbiting tongue, a complaining tongue, a cursing tongue, a contentious tongue, a sensual tongue, a vile tongue, a tail-bearing tongue, a whispering tongue, an exaggerating tongue. You get the picture? And I skipped one, a murmuring tongue. 
You know, we seem to think that if we don't do the big sins with the tongue, we're good. But no, James says the tongue, it is powerful and it can be evil. He goes on to point out, our next point is the power of the tongue. And he uses two illustrations that show us that the tongue is a small member but can have great power. Power to influence, power to control. His point is that we should not underestimate the power of the tongue. If we do, guess what? We won't be able to tame it. Illustration one, the horse. He says, if we put bits into the mouths of horses so that they obey us, we guide their whole bodies as well. So we have an example of a pretty big animal, right? A horse. And he says, you control the horse by controlling his tongue. You see, you put a a piece of metal in the mouth of the horse. It's laid over his mouth or over his tongue. And then you put a harness around that. And you pull on the horse and you're able to control him based upon the bits that are in the horse's mouths. So by controlling the tongue, you control the horse's movement. Now, how useful is a horse without the ability to control him? Not very useful. And when's the last time you had a horse walk up to you and say, hey, I'm ready to plow the field. Come on, let's go. Doesn't happen. Doesn't come and volunteer. So it is with our tongues. Just as we have to train horses so that we can control their bodies, we must also do that with our tongues so that we can control our bodies. By controlling the tongue... Our life can be directed in useful service for God and others. Illustration two, the ship. Look at the ships also. Though they are so large and are driven by strong winds, they are guided by a very small rudder wherever the will of the pilot directs. Another great illustration, you have a huge ship that is controlled by a small rudder. Back in biblical days, the ships weren't as big as they are today, but in Acts 27, there was a ship that held 276 passengers. That's a pretty good-sized ship. How many of you have been on a ship? If you go to the captain's quarters, you'll find the helmsman, and steering the ship will, will be a small steering wheel. That's what you'll find there. And just as the bit controls the horse and the rudder controls the ship, so also the tongue controls our bodies. Both the bit and the rudder must overcome contrary forces. The water for the ship and usually the ground for the horses. And so it is with our tongues. In the same way, the tongue must overcome 
contrary forces. And that force is our flesh. In order for it to be under control of God. If we want to accomplish anything good, we need to be in control of our tongue. James goes on to tell us that the tongue is very destructive. And he points out the destructive power of the tongue. In verses 5 and 6, he says this, How great a forest is set ablaze by such a small fire. And the tongue is a fire, a world of unrighteousness. The tongue is set among our members, staining the whole body, setting on fire the entire course of life, and set on fire by hell. James shifts his focus to warn us of the destructive power of the tongue. He wants us to pay close attention to his instructions. He says, look how great a blaze there is. Only a single spark can consume a whole forest. And we're seeing that today out in the West Coast. There's fire running rampant and running wild out there. Because fire has the capacity to effectively reproduce in an unlimited way as long as there is something to burn. We look at water. Water comes out, that's all you get, water. It doesn't reproduce itself. You don't see water creating more water. No, but fire will indefinitely, as long as there is enough flammable material and oxygen, it will go and it will go and will go. And he uses that to illustrate that's exactly what can happen with the tongue. It can be very destructive. Fire spreads and it spreads quickly. And in that day, the day that James wrote, there was little resources to contain fires. You had to get buckets, and you had to manually go through. You didn't have fire trucks. And that reminds me, another illustration. In 1871, much of the city of Chicago was destroyed by a fire. It began at 8.30 when a cow kicked over the lantern as she was being milked. The cow belonged to Mrs. O'Leary, who became famous as a result. That small lantern started the Great Chicago Fire, burning over three miles of the city, destroying 17,000 buildings, leaving 100,000 people homeless, and 300 people died. The fire burned for two days, and when it was finally over, it took the city of Chicago more than $400 million to rebuild. What James is telling us is that we are carrying a very dangerous instrument in our mouths, okay? There are all kinds of power in this tongue. says the tongue is a world of unrighteousness. 
The tongue is a world within itself, a world that can exhibit all sorts of iniquity. Albert Barnes wrote these words, and I'm going to quote him. It's a little long quote, but hang in there. Listen carefully. With all the good which it does, he's talking about the tongue, who can estimate the amount of evil which it causes? Who can measure the evil which arise from scandal and slander and profaneness and perjury and falsehood and blasphemy and obscenity and the incalculation of error by the tongue? Who can gauge the amount of broils and contentions and strifes and wars and suspicions and enmities and alienations among friends and neighbors which it produces? Who can number the evils produced by the honeyed words of the seducer? or by the tongue of the eloquent and the maintenance of air and the defense of wrong. The tongue is powerful. The tongue can be destructive. Churches have been destroyed by the tongue. Marriages have been destroyed by the tongue. Countries have been destroyed by the tongue. It is powerful. It is destructive. And the tongue is capable of raising up and speaking against all the precepts and principles of God. The tongue can be very defiling. And James is warning us if we leave the tongue unchecked, our entire body will be defiled. Not just our bodies, but others will be defiled as well. Now, we know, we learned last week that corruption begins where? In the heart. And the tongue acts as a warning signal. You have your car, that warning light comes on, what do you do? You check things out, don't you? Yeah. Well, if your tongue is giving you warnings, don't ignore it. Because there's something going on beneath the surface that needs to be addressed. And if you don't check it out, you will find yourself in outright rebellion against God. And please note, James is not writing to unbelievers. He's writing to the church. So this is a warning. This is preventive maintenance. As I said earlier, it'd be much easier to preach on heaven. God says, watch your mouth. Because what comes out of this is an indication of what's going on below. Okay? I think of David and his sin with Bathsheba. The words that came out of his mouth, words of murder. He murdered an innocent man. Why? Because some things weren't being checked in his heart. You see, our tongues 
determine the course of life. Your tongue will have influence on you, and it will have influence on others throughout our days upon the earth. And depending on how we use our tongues, we can use it for good or we can use it for evil. And what we say with our tongues can change the course of life. What kind of tongue do you want to have? What kind of tongue do I want to have? I don't want to have an evil tongue. I don't want to have a complaining tongue, a dirty tongue, untruthful tongue. I want a tongue that's honoring to God. David said, let the words of my mouth and the meditations of my heart be what? Acceptable in your sight. And you see, what fuels the tongue? The wicked tongue, that is. What fuels it? Well, James says, the source of negative speech is hell. He says that our tongue is set on fire by hell. Evil speech is fueled by hell. When Jesus spoke to the Pharisees, he made that abundantly clear. In John 8, beginning in verse 42, Jesus said this. Jesus said to them, if God were your father, you would love me. For I came from God, and I am here. I came not of my own accord, but he sent me. Why do you not understand what I say? And get this, it is because you cannot bear to hear my word. You are of your father, the devil, and your will is to do your father's desires. He was a murderer from the beginning and does not stand in the truth because there is no truth in him. When he lies, he speaks out of his own character, for he is a liar and the father of lies. When we think about what James is telling us, when we allow our speech to oppose the principles of God, we become partners with Satan. When we use our tongues in that way, it is coming straight from the pit of hell. In verse 7, James tells us that the tongue is unruly. He says, for every kind of beast and bird, a reptile and sea creature can be tamed and has been tamed by mankind. He uses an illustration to show that all the different categories of animals, we can tame them. We can subdue those creatures, but we can't subdue the tongue. James goes on to say, but no human being can tame the tongue. It is a restless evil full of deadly poison. And in Ephesians, we've been learning, but God, right? And we thank God that there is a but God. 
And Jesus came, he gave his life, he died in order that we could be set free from the domination of sin. And Jesus came to clean up these tongues so that we can speak things that are pleasing to God. Now, we won't do it perfectly, but the direction of our life should be that we speak in such a way that we are pleasing to God. He's given us the Spirit so that we can speak in right ways. So we learn that no human can tame the tongue. My wife is sitting there. I can't tame her tongue. I don't mean that in that way, but... <laughs> but I, uh, yeah, I'm going to go home and have to explain myself now. <laughs> but I can look at, let me pick somebody else. <laughs> Graham is back there. I see Graham back there. I can't control Graham's tongue, right? Only God can. Thanks for bailing me out, Graham. <laughs> <laughs> the tongue is a restless evil. It's unstable. He uses a word that's similar to the double-minded man that he describes in chapter 1 of James. We cannot trust the tongue. It's unreliable. Stephen Davies, who is a pastor in North Carolina, he says, it's unreliable and prone to, at any minute, any minute, break out of its cage where it has been kept behind the bars of teeth and the gate of lips. James describes it as F. It were looking for an opportunity to escape. I thought it was funny. There's a cage. We got teeth and we got a mouth. Keep it in. It's deadly. What happens when poison gets into your system? It's destructive. And that's what the tongue can be. but we want to use our tongues for the glory of God. Proverbs 18.21 says, Death and life are in the power of the tongue, and those who love it will eat its fruit. Death and life, you hear that? In the power of the tongue. Jesus wants us to see that the battle we face, if we don't employ the means of grace that God gives us and the help of the Holy Spirit, we're going to be in trouble. John MacArthur said this, and I'm going to quote him as we prepare to close. He says, it is a powerful instrument. It can tear down people. It can tear down churches. It can destroy relationships. It can wreck a marriage. It can devastate a family. It can rip up a nation. It can lead to murder. It can lead to war. On the other hand, it can build up. It can create love, enthusiasm, encouragement, comfort, peace, joy. Powerful, powerful thing is the tongue. And if we get a hold of it and control it, 
It can control all the rest of us. So says James. Look at your speech. Is it the speech of living faith? And apply yourself to control your tongue because of its power to condemn you and its power to control you. Good word from the Lord. I'm going to close. Um, Scott, if you could put up verses 9 through 12 of chapter 3. This is so, so true. With it we bless our Lord and Father, and with it we curse people who are made in the likeness of God. From the same mouth come blessing and cursing. My brothers, these things ought not to be so. Does a spring pour forth from the same opening, both fresh and salt water? Can a fig tree, my brothers, bear olives, or a grapevine produce figs? Neither can a salt pond yield flesh, fresh water. And James is saying, if your tongue isn't under control, that's inconsistent with being a child of God. So let's make sure that our tongues are under the control of the Spirit of God. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we thank you for the Word of God. We thank you for the practicality of your Word. We thank you that the writers of the Word of God didn't hold back because you used them to teach us, to instruct us. Everything that we find in the Word of God is for our learning and it's for our good. And we pray that you would help us, Lord, to remember to maintain our hearts and to maintain our mouths. We thank you for James and pointing out that real faith will be demonstrated by what we say. Help us to say good things this week. Help us to honor you. And we pray all of this in Christ's name. And Lord, thank us, Steve and Debbie. Pray for them as they recover. We pray your grace would rest upon them and help them to fully recover soon. We pray. Amen.